Okay. Well, Nick asked the question of the kids, how have you made your dad's day special today? I have a question for you dads. How have you made your kids' day special today? Okay, the focus of today's sermon is going to be on fatherhood. Uh, We're in a series called the Path of Life series. We're talking about seven deadly sins and the alternative of those things. And so the, the text of my message is going to be around pride and humility. And the focus is going to be on fatherhood, the father's heart. I have a story to tell you. I'm going to tell you part of the story now, and I'm going to finish the story at the end for a little more of the punchline, I guess. Um, some of you probably can identify with this, a little girl or boy in the middle of the night. It's storming. Sound familiar? Like last night, maybe night four, any, any night this month. Storming, it's uh, loud, it's lightning, and the the child runs from their room to their parents' room and says, Daddy, Daddy, please comfort me. This is scary. And the dad says to his child, you know Jesus is with you, right? And the child says, yes, I do know that. So the father really took that, that moment to put the focus on God for that child. I'll tell you more of the story at the end. I'm going to talk first about pride. I'm going to spend just a tiny bit on that. And I really want to focus on humility uh, this morning, which is the flip of side of pride in many ways. The other thing I will tell you is I was talking, actually praying with Nick this morning for today's service. He said something. I asked if I could borrow the metaphor, and he said, sure, so I will use it. Um, God is like a diamond. He's got many facets. And we see God through different lenses and different facets of the diamond. So what I'm going to do today is talk about one or two of those facets of God. This is not a comprehensive, this is all about the Father in heaven. This is about a specific couple facets of our Father that I want to focus on today. And so if you'll bear with me, there's things I'm not going to talk about. You can say, what about this to balance it? Well, I'm not going to be balanced this morning. I'm going to talk about one facet of God's heart today. That's my goal, and I'm hoping that this can change you your thinking. Another thing I will say to you, um, this church, a lot of you have been, have known the Lord for quite a long time. Some of you may be new, or some may be searching, searching and seeking. So I know there's a variety of diversity here. And uh, for those of you who have been around a while, I will say this to you. In Matthew, when Jesus looks at Peter late in his ministry and says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? How do you answer that question? Sure, Lord, I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. He asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep, he says to him. He asked a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I do love you. And he's thinking, why do you keep asking me this question? And the reason why Jesus asked that question is because obviously Peter thought he knew what love was, and he only had a tip of what that meant. He was asking Peter to think deeply, more deeply about what it means to love the Lord with all your heart mind and strength, and to serve him by tending his sheep. So I will say this to you this morning, this topic of fatherhood, this topic of the father's heart, the scriptures I'm going to read are words that you've all probably read before, or a lot of you have. I would ask you to think more deeply. Do you understand the father's heart? Well, yes, we do. Well, maybe, hopefully today we can dig a little deeper in that. So I would ask you to bear with me in that as we go through this. So as I promised you, first I'll talk about pride, one of my favorite topics, not because uh, that's something God has his thumb on me on a regular basis. Uh, Proverbs 16, 18, 20. You want to put that up there, David? It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
It's better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than divide the spoil with the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Pride, I will boil down to be one thing. It's about me. Pride is about me. What do I think? What about me? How, how do I get my reward? Why don't people appreciate me? It's all about me. Got to know you're there. I'll let you know if I need you. I got this covered. I'm sure none of you say that out loud. You might think it sometimes, or you might just act that way. You go off on your day and not spend time with the Lord to find out how, Lord, you want to use me today. And I know too often I start the day out and I get halfway through and go, well, I need to ask the Lord for help here because I'm in, I'm in a bind. It's easy to ask the Lord for help when you're confused, scared, afraid. But I would suggest that we should always be seeking the Lord. And when we don't, it's our pride. We got it. Uh, one good example of that is Job, who by all accounts at the time was a very, very humble man, very, very uh, godly man. He sacrificed daily for his children in case they sinned. I mean, there's talk about a great dad. And uh, just had a heart for God, well known. And God allowed him to be sifted. And ultimately, throughout all the, ver- all the chapter of Job, there's this, this cycle of God asking Job finally, where were, you, where were you at when I created the universe? Where were you at when I, to see how a deer fawns uh, another deer? How do you understand how this universe is built, how things happen? And Job finally had to say, okay, I get it. I don't get it. And uh, so after being confronted, it really boiled down to Job had a little bit of pride. And God said, I want that little bit to be squeezed out to trust in me. And all ended up in Job 42 where Job, after all this happened, and of course, you, those who read the scripture know this story, Job got uh, everything taken from him, everything taken from him but his life. His health boils over his body, his friends abandoned him, he lost his family, lost his wealth, everything was gone. And then he said this at the end of his time through this, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. How many have done that? I've uttered what I did. Jeff, right? Jeff's a smart guy. Um, We all have intelligence. We all can say things that seem safe, but often we utter what we don't understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I thought I knew, but I ultimately did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you with spiritual eyes. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So Job humbled himself. Even though he did all the right things at the beginning of the story, um, he was doing them probably out of his flesh a bit. At the end of the story, he realized it's all about God, not about him, not about me. That ends my part about pride. I'm going to switch into humility. Matthew 5, I'm going to put that out there, Dave, says this. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus talking. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You've heard these verses many times, a lot of you. A refined meaning of the phrase of poor in spirit could be that it is to be said that those who are quiet, nullified, diminished, will one day inherit the earth, not the proud, the meek. 
Meek and Greek, Greek literature of the period often meant gentle or soft. I'm going to skip for a moment out of Matthew to Isaiah 42, 3, and also it's in Matthew 20, 12. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Those that know me probably get sick of hearing me say this. And the reason I said this scripture is so good for me is I know that I have been challenged to emulate it better. It says about Jesus in Isaiah and in Matthew, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not stuff. You can picture a bruised reed that's bent. It could easily fall apart. But he will gently hold the bruised reed. And often that's us. We're that bruised reed. He holds us in his hands. doesn't break us. Desires to restore us. And a smoldering wick. You can imagine a little flame. And now it's just a little bit of smoke. It's easy to have it snuff out. Just a breath could snuff it, but a breath could also bring it back to life. And I just add the fire back again. So Jesus said of him is as a very gentle, even though he's a powerful, he had the power of the universe behind him, power of his father. But it was said of him that he was a bruised reed, that he would not break a bruised reed. He would not snuff a smoldering wick. Then in verse 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Humility is referring to behavior, is referring to behavior towards others. So if I'm humble, it's how I treat you, how I treat others. Meekness, as it talks about here in verse 5, means restraining one's own power to allow room for others. That's harder. If you got the right answer, if you got the power to help somebody, you get the power to fix something, sometimes meekness means stepping back and let someone else do it. Let someone else get the credit. Let someone else take the, the blessing of helping. So meekness is even though you have the power, kind of diminish yourself a bit to let someone else be highlighted versus yourself. And there's times when that should definitely happen, times when you should step in to help. But I would suggest to you, think about that before you just step in to help and to adjust. In uh, Luke 22, the Lord's Supper, the, uh, decide, I guess I, I didn't finish up on pride. I'll touch one minor point here. Uh, it says in verse 24, a dispute rose among the disciples. You imagine this, Jesus is at the table, and here's these disciples who've been with for a few years, and they're arguing in front of him about who is the greatest, right? I, I can't imagine that. I'm sure none of us would do that. Uh, and Jesus said to them, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. So Jesus told his disciples that it's not the most powerful, it's not the smartest, it's not the oldest, it's those who serve, those who become young in spirit, those who diminish themselves to allow the Lord to work versus you take it on yourself. You'll see a theme here. Now, my main text is going to be out of Luke 15. There's three stories that Jesus tells in Luke 15. I will tell you up front, and I'll probably say it a couple times through this uh, time together with you. The three stories are told by Jesus to the Pharisees at the time and his own disciples are inheriting and others. So he's telling this story, these three stories. And these stories are not just cute stories, although they are cute stories. They're not just motivational speeches. I contend to you that it's, it's he's speaking these things to show you a glimpse of what the Father's heart looks like. How does God think? So these weren't just Jesus just telling nice stories. So Luke 15, 4 through 7, Dave, you want to throw it up there? Um, he leaves the 99 to go save one. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. That's the culmination of the story he tells about the shepherd that left, had 100 sheep, 99 were safe, 99 were good, one got lost. 
He left the 99, which means the wolves could still get to them. The 99 are exposed. Of course, they're together, so there's a lot of them, which is, we've got some protection there. We went after the one. And he says the Father rejoices. There's more rejoicing in heaven over the one that needed to come into the fold than the 99 that were there. And he's talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they thought they had it, man. We know the word. We got it down. We're leaders. You know, I'm a fair, I'm, I check, 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 check the boxes. And uh, Jesus says, not so much. There's more rejoicing for one of you that feels you have a need and, and is rescued than the 99 that think they got it, that are safe. The first story I, I just kind of skipped over. I didn't, didn't address it. There's the story about the coin. The lady lost, the woman lost a coin. She searched high and low to find the one coin. And again, that's all about the Lord's heart is to seek that which is lost. 99, to go find the one, seek that which is lost. And the third story he tells in Luke 15 has been called the prodigal son. I will continue today. I would like to look at this story and rename it. It's the prodigal dad, prodigal father. Another perspective. Now, uh, bear with me. I'm going to read this. There's something about just hearing the word of God, speaking the word of God. So I'm going to read all of the text from 1132. So if you can maintain your attention and stay alert and read along with me, it'd be great. Because I think there's some real nuggets in here that we'll pull out when we get done with the first reading. Jesus continued. There was a man. This began, This is continued after telling the story of the coin, the story of the 99. He went after the one. So Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. My share of the estate. My share of the estate. Me, my, my share of the estate. So he divided his property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, that would be, it'd break your heart, wouldn't it, as a father? After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, which sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will, not, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, and in heaven I will no, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him. There was no tweeting, no texting, no, no warning, right? So how would the father, I mean, the father was hoping, like you all would be, that someday his son would come home, this itinerant son that left. But while he's still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, not the, the best goat, but the best calf, and let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father's killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother said, great news. I'm glad to have my brother back. No. The older brother became angry. Me, me, me. And refused to go in. Pouted. 
So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, at least outwardly. Yet you never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property, and mine, with prostitutes comes home and you kill a fatted calf for him. Not fair. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate me glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So this has been called the prodigal son. And I'm suggesting we could also look at it from the perspective of the prodigal dad. Now, what, what does prodigal mean? If you look up in the dictionary or Wikipedia, it will use terms like lavished, lavish, wasteful, right? Well, not only was the son who left home and squandered his inheritance, but the dad was prodigal. He lavishly wasted the fatted calf, the ring, the robe on a son that did not deserve it. So keep that in mind as I continue to go through this. Think about it. When his son came back, there was no demand for repayment. No warnings of threats. No, I told you so's. No, let's, let's, what we learn from his son? How do we fix this so we don't do this again? By the way, you hurt your brother too. He's now mad at me. No, the first response from the father was to run out, hug and kiss his lost son without any judgment. Again, this is Jesus telling a story, so I'm not making this up to make it sound to fit the message today. That's how Jesus told the story. There was no judgment. Zero. I wish I could be so good with my kids to never judge. The first response is love, acceptance. Again, I'm talking about one facet of the diamond. There's another side on discipline we can talk about another time, but today we're talking about the Father's heart, the Father's love. The Father saw no sin didn't matter to him. Again, personalize yourself with your kids, your family, your friendships. He bestowed on his son all the same rights and privileges he left behind. The father saw no sin. Sound familiar? The father in heaven who created us without sin, Adam and Eve, sinned And then through his son, Jesus says, I see no sin anymore. It's covered by the blood of Jesus, covered by the blood of Christ. No sin. Now, I'm not God, good thing, because I think I'd work it differently. I'd say, well, no, well, you got to pay for your sins. If you kill people, there should be a judgment. If you've stolen from people, there should be judgment. And there is in the real world, there's judgments for those things in in, uh, practical. But in the spirit, God says, killer, you come to me in Jesus Christ's name, I forgive you. He sees no sin. How much sin? No sin. He sees no sin through his son Jesus, which is an amazingly loving response to us. Early on in John 15, same chapter, uh, there's a context of Jesus talking about abiding in the vine, where he calls us, his disciples, friends. And he also says, whatever you ask in my name, I'm there, I'll do. And then in John 15, 12, 13, he says this commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friend. Lay down, laying down your life, what can that mean? It doesn't mean necessarily you're dying. It means laying down your agenda, me, mine. It means laying down your stuff. It means laying down your reputation, 
maybe, for your friend, certainly for your son or daughter. <clears throat> There's also a, a verse, 1520, where it talks about the father when he sees his son is filled with compassion. That's the way it's, my translation reads. The word compassion, filled with compassion, uh, there's a word I should have put up on the screen because I cannot pronounce it and I can barely spell it. I'll give it a shot. It's called esplagishmithi. E s p l a g h m i s t h m i s e s p l a g c h m i s t h e on the end. Um, it means mother's womb. Isn't that kind of strange. Father sees his son and out of a motherly response out of a it's a seat of motherly affections is another way it can be translated moved by his guts a very very amazing response it's not a, a not a man's response typically let's get it fixed let's get it right let's correct it's kind of a mom come in son i love you that's what this story is about it's about that love of god that make probably hard for most guys to get most you ladies probably get it yeah, of course you love unconditionally. It's harder for us guys. But as a father, we're to exhibit these things. Again, this is Jesus telling the story. There's a quote I want to read by a uh, Catholic saint, St. Therese of the Sioux. I think that's how you pronounce that. She was a uh, lady that lived in the 1800s, uh, had a very troubled life, abusive life. At age 14, she met Christ, became a follower of Jesus. And at age 15, she became a nun probably to escape some of the stuff she was in, in with her family situation, and had a real heart and compassion, maybe because of her upbringing. And this is a quote she quoted. She, By the way, she was canonized by the Catholic Church and made a saint in their philosophy, their way of doing things um, in the 1900s. But arguably a very, very sensitive woman of God. She said this, the father displayed the divine prisoner of love and bound with this love, he binds his prodigal children to himself with cords of human kindness, with bands of love that come from the heart of God. Prisoner of love. Literally imprisoned by love. Unable to act otherwise. Judgment. All about me. It's all about being a prisoner of love. There's songs about it. All kinds of cute sayings about it. But to live it truly in your life is, is a challenge. So let us all be prisoners of God's love to bind our kids, our family, our friends with human kindness, with bands of love that come from the very heart of God. The Psalms talk a lot about the heart of God as well. I want to read one particular one for you this morning, Psalm 103. It says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Why? Here's a few reasons why. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good so that your path is renewed like eagles. Excuse me, so that your youth is renewed like eagles. I turned 65 last Saturday. I love this phrase, your youth will be renewed like eagles. Do it, Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, does he remove our transgression from us? As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I read a book called uh, The Prodigal Father, and in this book, uh, it talks. this is a quote from that book. 
It says God's compassion springs from a passionate vitality. It is an unstoppable torrent of love issuing from the womb of the Trinity. I'll read that again. Excuse me. God's compassion springs from a passionate vitality. It is an unstoppable torrent or flood or all-consuming power, unstoppable torrent of love issuing from the womb of the Trinity. That's our Father. Many think to themselves, I've sinned too much. I mentioned the, the person has killed someone, person hurt somebody, thieves. Many people think to themselves, maybe you are in that group. I've sinned too much in my life. I've committed too much, maybe even today. But they forget, we forget, in God's sight, all your sins are as drops of water in the sea. Gone, gone, gone. Impossible to retrieve. So when Jesus came and died on the cross for you, and his blood covers your sins, they are gone, gone, gone. It's like dropping eyedropper of water into the ocean, and then as it hits the water, oh, let's get it back. It's gone. You cannot retrieve it. That's the kind of forgiveness that God has for us through His Son, Jesus. That's the kind of Father's heart He has. It's gone. And that's the kind of heart we should try to emulate and have. The prodigal dad expressed a compassionate heart, which looks like weakness, Despite all cultural convention, remember this guy's a wealthy guy, probably well-known in his community, and such relating to his society as a patriarch. He runs to meet his son, abandons all pride. The son who needs to be spanked, disciplined, adjusted, fixed, he abandons all that and says, I welcome my son home. He embraces the kid without even saying, please don't do it again. He takes him as he is. Sound familiar? The Lord takes us as we are. It is as if he's reconciling himself to his son, not the other way around. The son came to say, Dad, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Please have me back. I'm not worthy to be your son. The father doesn't even let him get that out. He rushes him, crowds him, hugs him, kisses him, and says, Welcome home, son. I'm so glad you're back. Let's party. Let's celebrate. Again, Jesus is telling this story. He could have easily gone the route of discipline. Instead, he went the route of the father's heart, father's love. And I don't think it was an accident. He told the story that way for a reason. The dad humbled himself where the son had a chance to. Often we look, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll treat you right if you treat me right. No, no. God says you treat, you act in a way that's honorable, that's loving first. Not, for, not regarding a response you get back. That's the father's heart. Okay, last slide, I think. Dr. David, I will suggest this to you. God wants to find us, find you, and restore us, restore you, as much as I would suggest more than we want to find him. He came to us before we even knew him and said, I want you. I accept you. All your crap, all your sins, all your shortcomings, all your pride, I take you just the way you are. Nothing do you need to do other than accept my love. Now, it's, it's one thing to see that from God, and we kind of get our head around that a little bit. It's one thing to say God wants us to be the same. Jesus said to his, his disciples, 
it's actually good I leave because the Holy Spirit, the Comforter is coming to you and you will do greater works than me. Well, Jesus told this story. He had many acts of kindness and healing and he says to us, so should you. Matthew 5, verses 43 and 44, Jesus ups the ante. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus says to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but he says instead, instead, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's people that are easy to love, people easy to, to care for, and your kids, sometimes you love them, sometimes it's challenging. Same is true with your friends and your relationships. He says, love and pray for your enemies. That's the Father's heart. It's out of that love that maybe your enemy could become a friend, could become into the kingdom. So I started this out today telling you a little story about the little girl in the middle of the night who um, was afraid of thunderstorms, went into her dad and said, Dad, please comfort me, I'm, I'm afraid. Dad says to her, Remember, Jesus is with you. And she said back to him, I know that, Daddy, but I want Jesus with flesh on. We're a meat-covered, Holy Spirit-carrying person. We have flesh, our minds, but in the side of our hearts needs to be the Father's love. We need to be Jesus with flesh on, certainly to our kids, to our friendships, to our enemies. That's the Father's heart. And what some of you may be thinking, like me, I can't do that. Sounds great. I could certainly pretend like I am loving my enemies. I can pretend like I've got this unconditional love. And I'd say, you're right, it's impossible. And without you allowing the Father's Spirit, the Holy Spirit to be with you, without you allowing God to change your heart, you can't do it. You need to have a new heart. And if you ask God, he'll give you a new heart. Jesus was once asked, how do I find the kingdom of God? And he said, you need to die of self and be reborn. He wasn't, as you know, talking about the flesh. He's talking about the heart, the spirit. You need to die. Put yourself down. Be meek. Even though you have the power, put it down to let someone else do it. You need to be humble. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about my friends. It's about my, my family. So be Jesus with, in the flesh. That's it. I hope this word challenged you. I uh, hope it also encouraged you. Dads, uh, you, I want to challenge you to take on the heart of the Father in heaven. Moms, encourage your husband to do so as well. All of us, this example is not just for dads, it's for moms, sons, daughters, grandparents, etc. For us to take on that heart of God. Worshiping, if you want to come up, we'll uh, end in worship. Uh, what we're going to do too, for those of you that have been here a while, we our practice is to take communion at the end of the service during the music. And uh, we've got glass of uh, juice and bread on, in the front and in the back.